Welcome to the Synergy Mindset Coaching Podcast. Today, I am speaking with Jiang Zhao, Canadian Research Chair and Assistant Professor at UBC. We're going to be sharing her work on scarcity mindset and some of the questions like, why do the poor stay poor? Why are the busy forgetful? I'm going to invite her onto the show to tell us a little bit about herself, and then we'll jump into her work. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Gina, for having me. Well, thank you so much for being here. Could you tell everyone a little bit about your life today so that they could get to know you? Sure. I'm currently an assistant professor in psychology and sustainability at UBC. Um, So most of what I do is research, supervising students, uh, research projects, and teaching and service. And I love uh, what I do for the last five years since I got to Vancouver. Now, before we jump into the interview, could you tell me just a little bit about what brought you to this work on scarcity? Yeah, so um, I grew up poor in China in the 80s, so um, I had uh, intimate experiences of uh, poverty um, in my family and in, in uh, basically in society at that time. Now, of course, China is different. My family got uh, out of poverty and we are uh, living a, an affluent lifestyle. And obviously, I uh, get to pursue education outside of China. When I got to graduate school, uh, my one of my PhD advisors, Aldar Shafir, was working on poverty. And I jumped on board on that project immediately because uh, this has been a personal interest and a passion of mine. Uh, since you know, since childhood, so we wanted to understand uh, what uh, makes the poor a poor, and we basically for the last I'm going to say for the last ten years or so, we've been investigating a psychological, a cognitive explanation of the behaviors of the low-income, resource-poor individuals. Uh, so that's how I got onto this program of research, both through personal experiences and through professional uh, development. Wow, you have an inspiring story. I can't wait to jump into your research and a little bit more about scarcity. Thank you. I'm handing the mic to you. Go ahead and take us on a journey into the world of scarcity mindset. Scarcity is experienced by pretty much everybody in the world. It's a condition of not having enough or the feeling of not having enough. That could be not having enough money or not enough time, not enough friends, not enough calories, etc. Mm-hmm. So we've been uh, revealing a number of psychological uh, consequences under this scarcity mindset or scarcity condition. So what we found was when you're experiencing scarcity, when you're feeling the shortage of resources, you begin to tunnel. You begin to tunnel your attention, your mind resources, your cognitive resources on the tasks that are urgent to you. So for instance, if I'm busy and I have a deadline, Let's mm-hmm. say coming up in a day or in a few hours. What do you, what do you do? You focus. So I've <laughs> basically my <laughs> my life these days are driven by deadlines, um, and I am grateful for it. Otherwise, I would never get anything done. Um, so what I do, for instance, when there's a deadline, is I literally give up on anything else. I give up give up on my emails, even my friends, uh, my my family. I not give up by by, by giving up. I mean, <laughs> sort of ignoring them for a bit. And then focusing on this paper or this grant or this uh, this task that needs to get done before the deadline. So that means I have limited time to get 
quite a bit of work done. So that's time scarcity. Now, what happens in money scarcity? Um, when you are pay- when you have to pay off bills, pay off debts, and you have a deadline coming up, if you don't pay off, let's say, pay this rent, you face the risks of being evicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't pay your kids' education or tuition fees, your kids may be kicked out of the school. Uh, if you don't pay the, the fees or the fines, the tickets on your car, you may lose your car. So um, you have serious risks of you know losing a significant chunk of uh, resources, let's say, and then you only have a limited amount of resources, let's say money, to, to yeah. handle this point. So what do you do? So typically what we see is the poor tunnel on this task. So they may take out payday loans, so loans that are of mm-hmm. tremendous interest rates. So they can fight these fires at the moment but over the long term, they're actually accumulating more debt. Yes. So they get into this vicious cycle, uh, what we call a uh, poverty trap. So then they, they don't get out. They're accumulating uh, you know, debt and, and they borrow. They keep borrowing to fight current fires. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's only making things worse. So this tunneling behavior is, is problematic. It's, it, could, it may seem um, advantageous at the moment because you solve this problem. But over the longer run, you're actually hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. So um, that's one uh, phenomena or mindset that we discovered in under scarcity. You tunnel on the task and then you neglect everything else, which actually are equally, if not more, important to you. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah, so that's one thing we've been uh, investigating. Um, and then there are other... Uh, scarcity mindsets. Uh, so, so what I just talked about was a cognitive phenomenon. So we 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 selectively, you know, prioritize things based um, on emergencies or cur- urgencies and importance, and we also suffer costs as a result. Mm-hmm. But there are other scarcity mindsets that are more, I'm going to say, socially relevant. So. At least in within North North America, I think there is a prevalent, pervasive stereotype of the poor. So we, uh, I think, as a society, we tend to view the poor, the low-income uh, individuals, as you know, incompetent, lazy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these attributes are assigned by the non-poor to the poor, most often unfairly. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of the news exposures and media attention are dedicated to a few case studies or cases where the homeless individuals are suffering or overdosing or look at this person losing their house, etc. And these negative exposures are, are really, you know, fueling this uh, stereotype of the poor. Uh, so as a, as, as a result of this stereotyping, um, the poor actually suffer a lot of stigma because of their poverty identity. So if I'm poor, um, I may be concerned with how other people see me. Um, mm-hmm. Why, you know, if, if I walk in, in, in on the street, uh, would I be concerned about people looking at me weirdly or the security guard looking at me funny or would I be um, worried? Should I worry about my performance and my behavior? So these are, again, mental burdens on the poor that are, to me, they're completely unwarranted. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, you know, 
it, it, and, and studies have shown that these mental burdens, because of the stereotypes, consume cognitive resources. So they lower uh, IQ, they, they inc- decrease performance on testings, um, or even in other domains of life. So if I'm constantly worried about how people see me, my performance is not going to be great uh, because of this divided attention. Um, so that's another socially driven uh, mindset. And I think um, I was actually talking to Claire yesterday about this. Um, I think I was fortunate to grow up poor in China in the 80s. And the reason I thought I was fortunate is because everybody was poor then. There was simply nobody rich or better off. And uh, so that's actually equality. There was equality, but everybody was poor. Mm -hmm. Um, So I grew up, even though our family was poor, um, I never felt threatened. I never felt I was worse or incompetent or I was just dumber than other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we just thought if we, work, we, if we work hard enough, if we you know, just pursue our dreams, we can become rich. So that's the mindset we had back then. Now, that's a very different mindset of the poor in developed nations, let's say in North America or in Canada or U.S., because there's a tremendous inequality here. We have the low-income individuals who want to have very well off the 1%, the super rich. Mm-hmm. With that inequality uh, uh, you know, present, what happens is that the poor, I think suffer from stereotypes and stigmas. So they think, oh, you know, what's wrong with me that I couldn't be rich and what's wrong with my family and maybe I'm just not good enough. Um, so these are the stereotypes that 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 the poor carry with them at all times, even implicitly, um, if not explicitly. So uh, that's not productive. And in many cases, I think we need to change the public perception of the poor to start with. I think um, I think that this is an important uh, movement that as a, you know as researchers, as, as policymakers, um, as, as public in general, we need to start to shift our perceptions of the poor. And I think there are, there are several important initiatives um, that are underway to change how people think, how people perceive the low-income individuals. Uh, so that's at least that's a start. I want to thank Claire for introducing us because she is uh, part of a project that we are both involved in. Yes. And uh, she was the one I heard the saying that, you know, a lot of people think poor people can just think themselves wealthy and it's not that simple. No. Yeah. And it sounds to me like you're saying it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because of that stigma, the person believes that about themselves, and then they actually do in turn act in the way that the stigma says they are. Is that right? That's exactly right. So if I have some uh, preconceived notion of myself, for instance, not being good enough or not being smart enough, Mm -hmm. then what happens is my behavior, I will behave in ways that confirm to that you know, belief. So that's just uh, like another vicious cycle. And I think we need to, first of all, make sure or start to correct that belief to start with. Yeah. You know, you're poor because of some unfortunate circumstances. It's not because of you. You are just the same as everybody else. Just it, It's only that the circumstance you're in is just different. Mm-hmm. So um, I think from there, we can start to 
dis- dissociate the, the, the situation from the individual. Um, that also, I think that's helpful because at least now the individual can do something to change the circumstance or even better, you know, policymakers, people who actually have the power to change, um, you know, how the systems work can change the circumstance so that the individual can prosper and grow. Wow. So there's two different people I'm thinking of listening to this right now. There's the person in the position to help make the change. And then there's the person who's on disability or perhaps homeless right now that's listening. And I'm not sure which one that you'd rather speak to first, but I'm really interested (laughs) in where your work's uh, taking you that some good change can come. Both. Both Both are equally important. Um, I mean, let me start with the top, top, Top down. So, actually, I was in Ottawa uh, last week talking to MPs and senators and uh, um, about certain policy issues. And uh, I had the conversation with a conservative MP. He was fantastic. Actually, uh, I admire what he, what he has done for science and for uh, you know under, underrepresented groups. Um, but we had a discussion about you know basically poverty mm-hmm. and whether. Uh, specifically about universal basic income, and so my he he asked me, "What do you think about UBI?" And I said, "You know, it's a very good initiative. We should do it, um, but we should be careful with who you know." Basically, I mean, I, I gotta say, we should increase the social benefit programs, the social safety net for the low income overall. Mm-hmm. Uh, that should be just the initiative. But, but but we should be careful with uh, the impact that this cash or this assistance has on people's lives. Mm-hmm. So we cannot assume that this, this cash or this assistance has the same impact for everybody. That's just naive and wrong. So, I mean, I can't talk too much about <laughs> a project that I'm doing, but <laughs> the idea is um, if somebody is severely sick and, let's say, is un unable to uh, make, I'd say, sound decisions, I think at that point we do need more more assistance than cash. We think we need more social support workers, um, uh, other staff and social networks to help them. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, uh, recovery you know, treatment programs, ex- including um, uh, certain job training programs. So there, there, I think there's, there's a lot to be done other than, you know, giving cash directly yes. but i think for some group of people who literally what they need is more cash or more financial resources mm-hmm. then i think ubis or cash transfers that's a fantastic idea so um i i'm in full support of increasing financial assistance to the poor. But I think as policymakers or as uh, nonprofit organizations or government, city government or provincial or state government uh, agencies, we need to be careful of um, well, actually we should be, I, I think, do, uh, we should do our due diligence to evaluate the impact of these assistance on people's lives. Now, that's the second priority. One is, so my first is increase overall social safety net. Second is, let's examine the impact of the, 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 the social safety net on people's lives. Mm-hmm. So um, this, this evaluation piece, however, 
is not currently in in government policies. It's not in NGO space. It's not in municipal, state, provincial uh, government agency uh, programs. It's not typically done. However, academics, so like me, we have been evaluating the impact of these programs on the poor. So um, there has been quite a lot of uh, cash assistance programs in in developing nations, uh, especially in Africa. Um, And there has been many, many studies that show that cash assistance actually has beneficial impact on low-income communities. Mm -hmm. Um, Almost no I mean, very few people receiving these cash assistance uh, spend it on temptation goods like alcohol or gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's actually counter the public perception of the poor. They're not wasting it. Um, and I think uh, that's a good that you know that that's a great evidence to 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 back up these policies, right? So yeah. Um, I think we need the policy initiatives as well as the evaluation piece. I think both have to go hand in hand. Um, so that's my view on the top down, the you know the people in power, um, what they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, from the bottom up, um, you mean for the uh, this is coming from low income jewels. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I I would say they are so burdened. Uh, mentally, um, I would not exert further burdens on their mind. <laughs> I would be careful. I would actually pr- like argue for protecting their mental bandwidth mm-hmm. and don't impose these programs. Well, you should do this. You should do that. Please enroll in this. You know, it's easy for us to tell them, but I think as a person who's actually struggling with living in that scarcity context, it's so hard. Yeah. Um, so I think for them, um, I'm going to say, <laughs> um, I, I would, I would, I would say as little burden as possible, uh, to, you know, on their, on their, on their lives would, try to protect their cognitive bandwidth um, or they're basically their mind. Uh, You know, I think the fact that they are not enrolling in programs, they're not showing up for appointments, they're they're forgetting things. It's not because they don't want to. It's because they forget. They they just have too much to juggle Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. So the solution to that is, is really, you know, how to make things easier for them. How can we streamline service? How can we make things just default? Just to say, okay, if, you, if your income falls below this line, you're automatically qualified or you're not automatically enrolled in this program unless you choose not to. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think the, the, the welfare services and social services programs can do a lot better to help the poor without asking the poor to come to them first. So... Um, so that that's my view. Yeah, I have a few coaching clients I'm working with that are in this area that you're talking about. And the one thing they say about coaching is everyone keeps telling me what to do and I should do this and I should do that. And I don't want to hear anyone say I should do again. Exactly. <laughs> so it's just paternalistic. And that's also assuming that, you know, they don't know what to do and we need to tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. 
that is not the case. That's not what they need. And that, that certainly doesn't help them either. So how can they start using some of the research themselves? You said that if they have been thinking that they're in that situation because they're bad or they're wrong, is there anything they can do to turn that around to start to better their lives? Uh, there are some uh, things they can do. I mean, of course. I mean, I think the things they can do are not different from the things that any of us can do to better our lives, um, you know? To be more mindful of your of the things that, that are going on. I mean, uh, to self care, um, to prioritize. Uh, I, I think I think these advice is it should be the same to everybody else. Like as a coach, for instance, you you've been coaching people, you know, in your practice, and I think the advice you give mm-hmm. to anybody is should be the same as the advice you give. <laughs> I'm person. Why should they be different? Um, so, I mean, I think that's a good point, right? It's like, yeah. how do I know? Who am I to tell a low-income person, a poor person, you should do this? I don't know your life. I don't know what you're going through. Yeah. So, um, it's just it's arrogant to to say, oh, you know, you should consider these things and that things. I mean, I would I would be hesitant to say, you know, engage in that. Instead, I would I would I would just coach them as any client you have, and you know say okay, well you have this problem, let's brainstorm. Okay, so what can you you know? Mm-hmm. I think there are incredibly uh, uh, resource for themselves. There are they know the systems well. They also know what they should and should not do. Mm-hmm. Um, they seek out people. They seek out services. Um, I mean, it's, sometimes it's good to say, look, don't forget there is this appointment tomorrow. That's a good reminder. Yeah. You know, that helps everybody. Um, as I said, you know, if, if, the, if this if if something is not on my calendar, I'm not going to do it <laughs> because I would never be able to remember what I'm supposed to do tomorrow. Likewise, for them, if they don't have a calendar, if they don't have a phone or computer, it's very hard to manage their lives. Our human memory is fallible. It's incredibly weak. Um, so I would you know, provide services like reminders or even a quick phone call to remind them, hey, you know, tomorrow at 9 a.m., please show up here. You know, yeah. That's helpful. That's, that's that really, you know. Instead of telling them, you know, oh, you should do this, you should do that, you know. Um, so that would be my my advice uh, for the poor. Absolutely love that. Okay, Jiaying, I really appreciate all the time that you've shared with us today. You've been such a valuable resource. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I haven't asked you. I think this podcast is is great. Um, we we need to really start to change people's perception of the poor. I think that's a that's an important first step. Wonderful. And just two more questions. What is a book that you would recommend or something that you're reading right now? <laughs> well, these are two different things. <laughs> right, let me start with the book I recommend. Um, okay. If you want to read more on scarcity mindset, uh, I recommend the book Scarcity. Uh, why having, uh, you know, so... Uh, oh, hang on, let me, let me find the actual title. This is actually a book published a couple years ago called Scarcity, Why Having Too Little Means So Much. Um, this is actually a book written by two of my 
supervisors or advisors in grad school, that book summarizes uh, what we found so far. And so I would highly, highly recommend that book if you are curious about scarcity. A personal book, you mean like uh, like any book? The book I'm reading, and I like it, um, is uh, actually called Purpose Incorporated by John Wood. Okay. Um, it's, it's it, it builds on an old idea on, you know, building up purpose in your corporation or organization, um, but actually has some contemporary advice, which I think could be useful if you're running your own business or organization. Uh, so that's one book I would recommend at this point. Awesome. I'll link it in the show notes at synergymindsetcoaching.com and scarcity. And then everything will be right there. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Thank you. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed learning about scarcity. Next week, we will be talking with Nate Ridgway about the abundance mindset. So if you would like to learn more and build on to what we have learned today, tune in next Monday on Mindset Monday. And please subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. And you can also find all the links mentioned at synergymindsetcoaching.com. We have a podcast, a blog, and you can subscribe to our email list so that you never miss another episode. So until next week, I hope you all have a great week.